Hi there, I'm Nella and you're listening to CSR Connect, the Optimine podcast, a place to discuss CSR, corporate goodness, corporate giving, and all things social purpose. Today we're going to talk about unrestricted funding, its myths and realities, and why you should go for it. And to get some insight into this topic, we talked to Karsten Thiemer. I'll leave you to it. I hope you will enjoy this episode. So, hi Karsten, thank you for uh, joining me. Pleasure to be here. Uh, could you maybe introduce yourself for uh, for a bit? Sure, can. Um, yeah, my name is Karsten Timmer. I'm sort of a hybrid between a consultant and a foundation manager. I run a consulting firm based in Germany, the Panther Ray Stiftungsberatung, which is sort of a philanthropic family office. So we work with a number of wealthy families in Germany and Switzerland and assist them in implementing their philanthropic activities. So in this position, I'm responsible for managing a number of charitable foundations in Germany and Switzerland. Um, I'm also chair of the working group grant making foundations in the German Association of Foundations and co-host of a web talk about foundations uh, in the German speaking countries. Nice. So you are aware of uh, the topic that we will discuss today. Uh, which is unrestricting fundings, the myths and the realities about that and why uh, you should go for it. Um, so to give a bit of background, um, could you explain what is unrestricted funding? Yeah, there is a, a pretty simple and a pretty complex answer to this question. The simple one is unrestricted funding is just the fact that a foundation or the donor uh, give grants without any restrictions. So instead of saying here are my 10,000 euros and this is earmarked for this and that specific program you would just choose a partner not a program and the grantee will kind of have the power to decide on which specific program or this on which specific activities those funds will be spent so this is the whole simple answer to what is unrestricted funding um, the more complex part is that 99% of grants are given in a restricted way. So for a specific program of an association, for a specific target group, or for a specific region. And unrestricted funding thus implies a departure from the standard procedure of, procedure of grant making, because it's not restricted to one specific activity. It's a departure from the established mindset of, fund of funders who are so used to program-related funding that they think that's the only legitimate way to give grants, be that a foundation or an individual donor or a company. And it's a departure from the established procedures of fundraising because grant seekers do always ask for program-related funding, even if they would prefer unrestricted money. But because just everybody runs on program-related funding, they ask for money for programs instead of asking for unrestricted funding. So it's, it's, it's the whole system of grant making is so used to program related funding that it's really kind of a real challenge um, to switch for unrestricted funding, which is not, not only a new procedure, but really a, a, a new attitude of funders vis-a-vis -vis the grantees and it's, it's a relationship that is built on trust, not on control. It's a relationship that acknowledges the fact that our grantees are the real expert on the ground. And it's a relationship that is aware of the power dynamics that exist between those who have the money and those who need the money. Okay, so 
apart from building this uh, distrust and this relationship between the grantees and the nonprofit, what is uh, why is it so important to set up uh, unrestricted funds in grants project management management in general? Well, let, let me just take an example. <clears throat> Last week, I talked to a grantee, uh, which is an association running a medical office for people who can't afford medical insurance here in Germany. So they're in dire need for money to pay additional salaries. Um, just, uh, just as an impact of the Corona crisis, where many independents uh, have lost medical insurance, and they do have a donor who has decided to fund only drugs, medicines, and medical equipment, so bandages and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have been doing this for ten years, so they have a long, long-standing history with this organization. They obviously like this organization, so they turned to the donor and said, "Look." we have drugs enough for the next five years. Um, we need money for salaries. And this donor just said no. no. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's program related, it's, it's restricted, but it doesn't do no good. Uh, so restricted funding has, has the risk of, re of really being not helpful because it's not adequate to the needs of um, of an organization. So that's the short answer to why why unrestricted funding is a good thing. And in a broader perspective, if you look at the, the financing of nonprofit organizations, they do really have a small amount of unrestricted money normally. So membership contributions, maybe ticket fees or other fees from, from uh, income generating activities that they have. But the lion's share is program related funding from public donors, from companies, from foundations. And there are a set of problems that arise from that. First of all, it's a management nightmare uh, if, because you have to make sure as a, as a, as a non-profit manager, you have to make sure that every, every penny is spent on the exact project that the donor has chosen to support. So as a manager, you have to juggle all those different funds that are earmarked for this program, that region, this target group. I mean, it's, a company couldn't exist like that. Mm -hmm. Second, it entails a lot of bureaucracy because your bookkeeping must allow to track those funds and to prove that the 10,000 euro for program XYZ have actually been spent on this program. And if not, you have to build a reserve for those funds to be carried over for the next year and then be spent on this program. And it's, it's, it's 10,000 of hours spent on reporting tailor made for every program for every donor. So it's, it's, it's a lot of unnecessary effort that program-related funding entails. Third, it's a question of uh, flexibility. So just as, as seen in the, in the example cited above, huh, if needs change, and needs do change fast these days, huh, just, just see the corona pandemic, it's, it's just impossible to plan for three years in advance and to say, this is, this is the, the program that we have agreed on and you will execute this program no matter what. So, but if in year two needs change, you still have this program, but you would need those funds in another place where, where they would do much more good. So that's, that's definitely a program and just a non-profit just lack the means, risk, or they, they have no risk capital that they could invest in innovative solutions. Huh? They would have to go back to the donor and ask for program-related funds. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's always the same story. And the, th the, the, the fourth issue, so first was management, second bureaucracy, third is flexibility. And the, th uh, the fourth one 
is a question of sustainability, well, which is an issue that, that foundations are particularly concerned in. Typically, donors would accept a small portion of their grants to be spent on overheads, be that 5% or 10%, whatever it is. Sometimes they do not accept overheads at all. Um, so many nonprofits just don't have the chance to invest in their own infrastructure, be that a website, be that training for the personnel, be that consultancy, evaluations, organizational development, a good database, and so on and so forth. Um, but, but this is how you build a resilient and performant organization. So by only, only supporting programs, you have this uh, non-profit starvation cycle, it's called, because yeah, as a non-profit, you always have to show that you spend a minimum amount of money on overheads. So this portion gets less and less and less. So, so you're starting to economize on really core costs. And this is not the way how you build a resilient organization. Okay. So but to, yeah, sorry. No, of course. Uh, th there are uh, people who say that this this practice, um, yeah, this this practice builds distance between the founder and the grantee. Like uh, it's uh, it's lacking involvement or interest in the cause, and that you just give money and you don't really care to which project it's going to be uh, allocated to. So, uh, how do you feel about that? Is it is it true? I mean, yeah, it's not. It's a bit subjective to ask is it true but how do you feel uh, about about this uh, this assumption that it uh, it means that you don't really care about the money that you're giving away and that you are not interested in the cause that much no. I, well i don't think that trust-based philanthropy means blind trust um i think it, it's more like the contrary it's just another form of involvement and a deeper one for that matter so typically as a donor you're involved in the in the nitty-gritty of a specific project that your foundation supports uh, and you just just don't get the bigger picture because all the reports that you will get are focused on this specific aspect this specific program and with unrestricted funds you're supporting the organization as a whole so we would still set targets with the foundations i work for that, that practice unrestricted funding we would still set targets but not on program level, but on the organizational level. So like the organization would say that we will open three new program sites in the course of the next two years. We will plan to scale up to reach 500 kids instead of 200 or whatever it is. We will start a capital campaign to raise additional funds. We plan to transform into a more agile organization. We will have a new management structure, whatever it is. So, so organizational targets and these discussions give you a much deeper insight in the organization than just a program related report so i would think it's it's not lack in involvement it's the contrary because this really gets to the core questions of every organization so it's it's another form of involvement and it's an involvement that that changes the role of the foundation too we're not just a passive funder who just writes a check to a program but we're much more like a sparings partner sometimes a consultant sometimes a father confessor so so i can contribute i as a funder can contribute much more than just money i can contribute contacts to other donors i have my network that i can uh, put at the disposal of, of those grantees and allow them to have access to people who they wouldn't have access to without the contact of the foundations 
I can give advice if that's needed and wanted. Um, so it's an, it's another form of, of involvement, of relationship that I would agree on. But I think it's, it's, it's a deeper one, a, a one that is more based on understanding where the fund, where, where the, the organization as a whole is heading instead of, well, the nitty gritty of a specific program. Okay, I see. Um, does it mean then that uh, since it's not specific to one project and it can be, uh, uh, it can vary according to what's happening and the changes and the needs and etc. Does it mean uh, that you cannot be sure that the money will be spent for the good cause that it might be uh, not possible to track it? To report yeah. on it, to report on it, to make sure that it's actually used for something good, to do good, to do what, you know, the the purpose that you wanted to give the money for at the, at the beginning. How can yeah. you make I mean, sure that it's reported on? Well, first of all, the organization we will give grants to is a charitable organization, so it has to use those funds for charitable means. That's the basis. Um, and the second answer is how can we make sure that the money is well spent? Well. It's simple by selecting good partners. Uh, just take Mackenzie Scott, the, the ex-wife of uh, Jeff Bezos. She's donated almost 12 billion US dollars to hundreds of nonprofits in the US in the last two years. Um, and these donations came out of the blue. So the organizations hadn't had a clue. They just found 10 million dollars uh, sitting in the bank account. and. What is special about these donations, it's not the, the, the immense speed and, and uh, amounts, but it's, it's donations with no strings attached. Uh, there were no proposals, no reporting. There is no requirements as to specific programs that these funds have to be spent for. It's free money, so unrestricted funding. But she had a team of consultants who did a very, very thorough due diligence beforehand. And then she said, it's, it's, I, I, loved, I love this quote, um, she said, because our research is data-driven and rigorous, our giving process can be human and soft. And I think there is, is an important lesson to draw from that, huh? because foundations spend hours, days, on examining project proposals. And I would say, if you do so much research and you finally choose a partner, well, just trust them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> why do research in the first place if you have control afterwards? So why would you bother with due diligence if you don't trust your findings? So that's, I think, the, the important part of the answer. How can we make sure that the money is well spent? It's just by selecting good partners. Not selecting good programs, but selecting good partners. And there is a, 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 sec a second thought to that. So the question is, how can we make sure that the money will be spent on a good cause? Basically, it's, it's a question of power. So who defines what the good cause is? And the classical answer to this question is, it's the foundation. Well, they make the choice mm -hmm. and they designate the program that the foundation think is most important and the money should go to. And with unrestricted funding, it's the grantee who takes this decision. And if I ask myself, who is the expert on the ground for this specific target group that the foundation works for, it's certainly not the foundation. I mean, these organizations work 
on a daily basis with our target groups. So they are the experts. They know what, what they need. So in this power dynamic, I think it should be the organizations, it should be the grantees who take this decision. And well, my impression really is that unrestricted funding goes where the biggest need is. But I, as a foundation, do no longer have a say which one, which, which area that would be. Uh, so if you just take the present refugee crisis, let's say you would, would want to make a donation to, to your local refugee organization in Hamburg or Berlin. And if you put the word Ukraine on the transfer instruction, so you put a restriction, you have to be clear about the fact that this organization might have to turn people from Afghanistan or Syria away just because your funding is earmarked for people from Ukraine. So this is not fair. It is not helpful. Um, I wonder if Ukrainian people, Ukrainian refugees are a better cause than uh, Afghanian yeah. refugees. And at least it puts an additional bureaucratic burden on the organization that already has enough to do. Uh, so there is a caveat to that because I think that unrestricted funding works best with uh, smaller organizations with a clear profile. Mm -hmm. So if I were to give funds to the International Red Cross, I'd still make restrictions. And not, not because I, I don't trust the Red Cross, but just because this organization is so big that some parts of the program portfolio might not be in line with my foundation's goals or my foundation's charter. So if, I, if my charter says uh, the foundation funds social programs domestically and I give it to the Red Cross, they might spend it in Bangladesh or wherever. So that might be a caveat or that might be a, a, a setting where unrestricted funding would not work. But as long as you have smaller or mid-sized organization with a clear profile, which is in line with your foundation charter, I think the good cause is really, or well, the best way to achieve the good cause is to provide unrestricted funding as much as this is possible. It makes sense. It totally makes sense. We uh, we actually discussed earlier that, um, yeah, the, during the pandemic, um, there was a deep need for flexibility, agility, and a bit more freedom uh, to be able to use uh, the money where the need was. Um, do you think it's really linked to... Uh, to the pandemic, but also to what's happening yeah, in Ukraine or everywhere. Well, I mean, we are uh, we are living in troubles time right now, um, because you said earlier that there was this new attitude to turn to unrestricting funding. So, what what where does it come from? Where does this new attitude come from? Is it something that is linked to what's going on in general, the pandemic, the refugees, or is it something deeper, something more uh, linked to? Um, the history and evolution of uh, nonprofits, for instance, or the new ways of finding money or whatever. Do you think that there is uh, some origin specific, uh, specifically in what, uh, what's going on around us that is linked to that? Or is it more something general, like nonprofits evolve with time, just like every other institution? Mm. I think it's, it's, it's a mix of causes that brings this issue to the table. Uh, first of all, is role models like Mackenzie Scott. I mean, mm -hmm. $12 billion. I mean, that's just Huge. impressive. Yeah. And there is, there is no excuse for any foundations to say, we have so much money, we, can't just, we just can't give it in an unrestricted well way. $12 billion, it's possible. And it, it, after all, it's the only way to give away $12 billion 
daughters. <laughs> um, so that's that's one part. I think the role model um, Mackenzie Scott. Second is that there is a lot of critics around this this notion of strategic philanthropy, uh, which was the the dominant dogma for the last 20 years huh? so that foundations would have to choose a strategy a goal and then to align all the activities um, to to foster and forward this goal which means that they would have to kind of make a lot of restrictions to their grantees in order to align those grants to the general strategy and there's been a lot of criticism about that, which is rooted in the question of how much power should a foundation have? Uh, who are we to execute so much power? So that's that is part of it. It's you know, that's that's a discussion which is which is very very prominent in, in the U.S. But it, it's an issue that is discussed in Europe too. And I think that that Corona really helped to leverage this uh, discussion because that was really helpful in order to to push this debate. Many nonprofits say that this was the first time that foundations actually called in to ask how they can help. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's just hear what the needs are and take those people as experts and let them guide the foundation strategy. During the pandemic, foundations were quick to invest in the much-hated overhead costs. Uh, they paid for computers and equipment of, uh, of the office, a thing they would never have done before, uh, before the crisis. And many foundations were open to, to cancel program restrictions, given that the programs they have originally chosen just could not be implemented during lockdown. So the focus shifted. So that, that kind of obliged foundations in a way to be more flexible. Um, okay. And, and I, I, I just hope that if this crisis is over one day, <laughs> foundations will not just fall back in the business as usual um, and do restricted grant making as before, but kind of have some takeaways as to the benefits of unrestricted funding. Yeah, actually, let's imagine that I've been working with uh, restricting funding my whole life and now I want to turn to this unrestricting funds because I see the benefits of them and I see that it's actually needed uh, by nonprofits. Uh, which tip uh, tips would you give me to make sure that I can turn to that uh, smoothly, that I can make sure that everything is uh, working perfectly and efficiently just like I want, <laughs> like the biggest dream? <laughs> yeah i think well basically i think there is no black and white you're not either this or that either a program related funder or an unrestricted funder uh, there are many many shades of gray many ways to work in a more trust-based a more flexible way and i really think that every foundation every donor every company has to position itself and to find the, the appropriate tools that are appropriate to the foundation and to the grantee so you don't have to become you, you don't have to switch strategy for a hundred percent from a very very program related funder to an unrestricted funder but there are many steps in between many ways to to kind of give more freedom and flexibility to your grantees and as i said i think it's not about processes but it's it's about attitude 
So my call for action would be that foundations should ask themselves how they can be as helpful as possible for the grantees uh, by designing a more inclusive, less bureaucratic application process, by, by reducing unnecessary reporting requirements, by cancelling restrictions, by making grant agreements short and, 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 uh, and you know, readable instead of having 20 pages uh, contracts <laughs> that, that the organization would have to pay a lawyer for. <laughs> so there are many, many ways to... Yeah. To influence this very special relationship between a donor and a grantee and to be aware of all the power plays and plays and plays. So my tip would be that with every grant you made make as a foundation, just take a minute to ask yourself how much restrictions do we as a foundation have to impose on this grant and how much freedom can we give to a partner? Do we really need quarterly reports or would an annual report just be sufficient? Can we replace intermediary written reports by a conversation? Do we really need a 10-page grant agreement? <laughs> Do we really need to fix specific budget lines or activities that our grant monies, monies will be bound to? Or can we, can we just leave it open? Can we be more flexible when it comes to suspend, uh, suspend program-related restrictions? So there are many questions that you might ask. Huh? There are many restrictions on grants. Huh? in terms of duration, in terms of reporting, um, application processes, monitoring. Uh, and so there are many ways to make the life of your grantees easier and, and to give them the time to focus on what we all want them to do, do their job. So it's, it's after all, it's in the own interest of the foundation um, yeah. to give them the chance to do a better job. It's good for them, it's good for the target group, but it's good for us too, because it's our mission as a foundation. Okay, perfect. I think these are uh, really good starting points uh, and questions that uh, we do hope our listeners and the audience will uh, keep in mind if they want to turn to unrestricting funds uh, for the very first time. So you gave all the tips or at least some starting tips that, uh, they might, uh, them, that might help them. Uh, thank you very much for, uh, for being there with us today and thank you for sharing all your knowledge on the topic. Pleasure is all mine. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't hesitate to share it. We will be back soon enough to keep the conversation going and help you get insights on how to create a bigger, positive impact in the world. Until then, be safe. This podcast is produced by Optimai. If you liked this episode, you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you there.